Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, December 6th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, uh, coming to you today from across the border. I'm up in Canada for the day. Moshe, I saw one of your Instagram posts, a little snow on the ground. Uh, not just a little. They got almost 10 inches. Oh, or They I, told me 25 I, centimeters. <laughs> I had to Google that because of, you know, we're on the standard system in America. And I was like, what is 25 centimeters? It's like, whoa, 10 inches up here. Uh, Jill, there are some fans of the podcast here. And they're like, is Jill serious about learning French? Because, you know, French is a big deal in Montreal. Uh, There are parts like, in fact, I had an Uber driver today who didn't speak any English. He only spoke in French and people here insist on speaking French to you. So they're hopeful that the Babel lessons (laughs) that we'll talk about in the middle of the pod uh, will take hold for your trip up here eventually. And to answer everybody, we, I am very serious, but we is just about as far as I go. In terms didn't, of it wouldn't French. have worked out well with the Uber <laughs> driver I had today. Uh, Jill, I should note, I'm giving a speech about um, coverage of the Israel-Hamas war to a group up here. So um, if you're interested in uh, having me or Jill come by to talk about media coverage, the news, anything that uh, is on your mind, you can head over to mo.news, send us a message, and uh, we'll try our best to head out where you are. And with that, let's get to some headlines. It is another debate night in America. Four Republicans will be on stage for the fourth presidential debate. We'll tell you what to expect. The latest in the Middle East, the U.S. setting up a field hospital in Gaza. The Supreme Court hearing a case that could upend the tax code. Onto the economy, job openings hit a two-year low. What does that mean for interest rates? Looking to boost your memory? Well, you might want to add some wasabi to your sushi if you can handle it. We'll explain. And make sure it's real wasabi. I learned something new in this story, Jill. And you will never believe what song is currently number one on the Billboard charts. We're kicking it old school. (laughs) America is, at least it appears. And speaking of old school, Mosh will have on this day in history. Yeah, we'll kick it with T-Pain, bring an auto-tune to the world on this day in history. And a big day in obelisk history, Jill. If you're a fan of those large Egyptian monuments, the most famous one here in the U.S. All right. And then there were four. Tonight is the fourth GOP presidential primary debate, and the stage is going to be a bit less crowded. Just four candidates. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, noticeably absent again, former President Donald Trump, who is still the front runner. He will instead be attending a fundraiser in Florida for a super PAC supporting his candidacy. Yeah, so far, Trump hasn't needed debates. He continues to dominate. So he says, why am I giving these guys attention? So he continues to do his own thing. And Moshe, I know that after the last couple of debates, you had said it looked like he had made the right decision by essentially sitting them out. We'll see what happens tonight, though. Yeah, the ratings keep dropping. Not many people are watching and he's not giving them a chance to engage with him. And so far, that appears to be working for at least enough voters on the Republican side based on the polls. Okay, so this debate will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on the News Nation cable network and News Nation website for free. So you could stream it there. It will be moderated by former Fox News and NBC host Megyn Kelly, News Nation anchor Elizabeth Vargas and the Washington Free Beacon editor in chief Eliana Johnson. 
So DeSantis, who was initially seen as the top rival for Trump, has been locked in a battle for distant second. He and Nikki Haley are basically duking it out to see who can be seen as the alternative to Trump. Over the weekend, though, we should note several staffers left this super PAC that has been sustaining much of DeSantis's early state efforts, particularly in Iowa. Haley seems to have the big mo, and I don't mean mo schmo news. I mean the momentum. And in part, it's because she's benefiting from increased attention to foreign policy now that we've got two wars, Ukraine and also uh, between Israel and Hamas. Mosh, what are you going to be watching for tonight? So the big question, you know, we've been watching these debates through the fall is they are engaging with each other, but not many, I mean, really besides Chris Christie, are really engaging, trying to differentiate from Trump. So if you watch these debates, you almost forget the fact that there's somebody who dominates 40 to 50% of the polling right now, and his name is Donald Trump, and they're engaging with each other. And, you know, the last one I thought was particularly substantive as far as policy. But again, if you're a Republican voter who uh, is ready to vote for Trump again, what is the compelling case to vote for the alternative? Um, we will see if Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley duke it out again. They viscerally hate each other. <laughs> like, um, so that can make for... Genuinely. You know, <laughs> it's it's palpable. Like, oh, it's... it's. I mean, the last one was rough. You know, he was mentioning her daughter and she's like, you take my daughter's name out of your mouth uh, in regards to the debate about TikTok. I mean, ultimately, it's it's who is the alternative to Trump here? There was already, you know, some push within the anti-Trump part of the party, which you could say is about a third to 40% saying, Chris Christie, please get out. Like, we need to consolidate. We can't allow 2016 to happen again. 2016, being the first time Trump ran, there were so many candidates in the field. And with Trump gaining about 25 to 30% of the vote, they all split it up so much that he was able to win primary after primary after primary. So many folks in the party who don't want to see Trump be the nominee again uh, are saying, we need to consolidate here. Chris Christie saying, no, I'm the only one who's really challenging Trump here. Why don't you guys drop out? So that's sort of where we're at with six weeks till voting begins. And, you know, you do talk about the momentum to Nikki Haley, but she continues to, you know, she still trails 20 to 40 percent, depending on the polls you see. She has to really kind of do well in Iowa, potentially win or do very close in New Hampshire. That brings her to the third voting state, South Carolina, where she was the governor. So she would hope to win there. So she really has to, you know, do well, uh, draw straight in, in Vegas terms. And so right now, Trump continues to dominate. We'll see what happens in the debate. But given that it's also on the News Nation cable network, which, you know, not everybody has, it's mid-December, people are focused on the holidays, the ratings have been dropping for the debate. It's not clear how much of an impact this debate will have. Um, we will see, though, if Chris Christie has a new nickname for Trump. Uh, last time he tried to make Donald Duck happen, like, you know, Donald's ducking out in the debates. That didn't, didn't quite stick. I don't know if any of you out there have been calling him Donald <laughs> Duck, but... No one besides Chris Christie uh, made that happen. I felt almost secondary embarrassment for Chris Christie when he delivered that line because I felt like he obviously thought it was just going to be this home run and the crowd was going to go yeah. wild. And it kind of just fell flat. He gave me a little smile at the end. <laughs> one clue, you know, sometimes you can tell what line was prepared in advance. Uh, and sometimes if you're just watching Twitter uh, or social media as the debate's going on, if like literally, you know, like an official nice tweet clip comes out from the candidate just as they said something, clearly that was something they had prepared. So Christy folks immediately put out, hey, Donald Duck, and the rest of us were like, clearly you prepped that one. Wah, wah. We'll see what else he's got. Sticking with presidential politics, the New York Times is reporting that a super PAC that is backing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his independent presidential run 
that they are planning to spend 10 to $15 million to get him on the ballot in 10 states. And even if this is just partly successful, it could add to the concerns that we've been seeing on the Democratic side that Kennedy could act as a spoiler in 2024. And we should note some Republicans are worried, too, because right now it looks like he's taking more of a bite out of Trump's vote than uh, Biden's vote. But that stands to be seen here. Now, the plan, by the way, they want to get in all 50 states. If you're curious as to why they're getting on the ballot in 10 states, if he intends to be president, it's really challenging. It's one of the strangleholds the two-party system has on the system is that every state has different measures. It's really complicated. It leads to lots of legal issues. So right now they're focused on 10 initial states, Arizona, California. Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Nevada, New York, and Texas. A key there as far as swing states, Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Nevada. So if he's able to take a few percent there, that could really make those states a toss-up and be really interesting in the fall. Again, the goal is all 50 states, but you know they were talking to Ralph Nader in one of the pieces, and he's like, it cost me $5 million just to collect signatures in this country to get on ballots, and then millions more for legal challenges. Now, keep in mind, RFK Jr., not the only person who's looking to get on the ballots. There's the no labels effort. Uh, that's, you know, we've talked about Joe Manchin potentially running there under that label. They'd have to get on the ballot. Uh, and then you have like, you know, kind of the parties that have done it and gotten on the ballots before, the Green Party as well. So how these third-party candidates, even if it's a couple percent, even if it's 10,000, 30,000 votes in some states, that's the difference between Trump and Biden the last couple of elections. So again, I've been warning here, this is something we need to watch. And so anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen next November doesn't because this is going to be one of the big wild cards. All right. So the latest in the Middle East, the U.S. plans to establish a field hospital inside of Gaza for civilians wounded in fighting between Israel and Hamas. Still not clear when it's going to be up and running, where exactly in Gaza it will be located. USAID, USAID, it's an agency within the State Department telling CBS News that it's going to be staffed by personnel from non-governmental organizations that are working in partnership with the U.S. government. It comes as officials in Gaza and from international aid organizations say that the healthcare infrastructure in the territory has been absolutely decimated. And remember, you know, in addition to people who are wounded, people still get sick. Women still have babies. So a healthcare system is is very important. Yeah, and a whole bunch of diseases are running rampant uh, in those refugee camps right now. So this is part of a new $21 million aid pledge for Gaza and the West Bank. On the ground, fighting continues, focused now around the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunis, home of Hamas leader Yahya Sinwar. Israeli airstrikes have reportedly even hit Rafah, which is far south in Gaza, almost on the border between Egypt, as we've been talking about the Rafah crossing. Uh, One of the places that the Israeli army had been urging Gazan civilians to flee to for their safety. U.S. officials are continuing to push Israel to try to minimize civilian casualties. Health officials who work for Hamas say almost 16,000 people have been killed in Gaza since Israel began its military operation in which it's vowed to, quote, destroy Hamas. Uh, We should note Hamas does not differentiate between civilians and militant deaths. Yeah, though the Israelis have been out in the past couple of days giving their estimate that they believe that of the dead in Gaza, five to 6,000 uh, were Hamas fighters. They believe they've taken out about a third of Hamas battalions in Gaza. Some estimates from Israeli military intel, they believe that if they can get to about two thirds of the battalions in Gaza, that would decimate Hamas 
uh, to the point where they're not really a significant fighting force anymore. Um, that's why they believe it's key to head into the South. Also, as far as death toll, they were on CNN, an official from the Israeli military was on CNN saying, you know, listen, our percentages are basically that, you know, we're killing one terrorist for every two civilians. Now, to the rest of us, you know, that still means two civilians are dead for every terrorist. The Israelis are saying in military terms, uh, compared to recent wars, where in some cases the UN estimates that 90% of casualties are civilians, that the Israelis believe that they're doing significantly better than some recent wars, including the U.S. in Iraq, where about three civilians, is estimated, sometimes in the case four civilians, died for every combatant. Again, it's tragic and, and horrific, but just giving you the terms the Israelis are putting out right now when it comes to what they believe they are doing to ensure uh, they can minimize civilian deaths. But the civilians right now in Gaza don't have many places to turn. Many of them have evacuated. 1.8 million almost have displaced from the north to the south, now needing to move again to another part of the south as the battle moves to Han Yunus in the south. One story that's also been getting a lot of attention and we're awaiting word on how uh, serious the Israelis are is that they have assembled a series of large pumps that they could use to flood the tunnel network under Gaza with salt water. That's a tactic that actually the Egyptians used uh, 15 years ago to destroy the tunnels that Hamas was using between Gaza and Egypt. The Israelis are now looking at it, but keep in mind you have about 300 miles of tunnels in loops at various levels below Gaza. And so the Israelis apparently have assembled these pumps. Uh, they've mentioned it to the U.S. that they're thinking about this, and they're debating how effective it might be, because as they pump water in there, that will give a chance to the uh, Hamas terrorists, thousands who are underground, who are believed in some cases to be holding hostages underground, to evacuate the tunnels. But of course, that would eventually destroy the tunnels. But the concerns are on a number of fronts. One, environmental, as in the fresh water, the wells, etc., under Gaza, um, could be tainted by the salt water. And then beyond that, how much damage that would do to the buildings above ground if you pump under Gaza with salt water. So that's one of the discussions being had right now. There's debate as to whether they're going to move forward with it. But something to be on the lookout for is the last thing Israelis want to do is put their troops in danger in what are tunnels that have been the home to Hamas fighters for years that in many cases are booby-trapped. And also want to mention a bit closer to home, the presidents of Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania and MIT were on Capitol Hill Tuesday facing questions from Congress about their responses to alleged incidents of anti-Semitism on their campuses in the wake of the war. The presidents for several hours got some tough questions about their disciplinary actions to students, how their hiring practice reflects or does not reflect diverse viewpoints, and just what they are doing to make sure that Jewish students can stay safe on campus. And we have a lot more news to get to, including today's speed read. Jill, I was asked recently on our premium Instagram account if I spoke foreign languages. And I you know, broke down some of the words that I knew. Uh, but it has been one of my goals to really learn Spanish. I never learned Spanish. I learned French in high school. And I've been wanting to get in Spanish, given how relevant it is. And we are very excited to be partnering with our newest sponsor, Babbel. The best way to learn a language, of course, is through immersion, living where the language is spoken, but that's not possible for many of us. So what's second best? Well, Babbel. Because with Babbel, you can start speaking a new language in just three weeks. So I started Spanish lessons recently. I've been loving them so far. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a tutor 
or you know, messing with some language apps, Babbel offers quick 10-minute lessons that are designed by over 150 language experts, and it really lets you learn relevant phrases that will actually be practical, something I definitely didn't get in high school. So it's designed for real conversations. So for you, would that be, where is the nearest ice cream shop? <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Bring me to your gelato, your best gelato. And what's great right now is they have a special limited deal for our listeners. If you're a Manu's listener, you have a 55% discount on Babbel, on a Babbel subscription. Head to Babbel.com. That is B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Again, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Monews. And with our discount, that is just $6 a month. Learn a new language. Again, 55% off. Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Monews. Rules and restrictions do apply. All right, now to our next sponsor, AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you know we have been drinking AG1 for months now here uh, at the Monews podcast. As a mom with two young kids, I can use all the help that I can get when it comes to my energy level and nutrition. And that's why AG1 is so important. It is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has continuously refined their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. A team of doctors and scientists have tested it for 950 contaminants. It is NSF certified for sport, formulated based on the latest science, and maintains high-quality standards. And even our friends have started to drink AG1, and they're always saying how much more energetic they feel and, and how much it has helped them. I take AG1 in the morning. I know I am covered for the day. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Check it out. All right, time now for the speed read from CNN. Another huge Supreme Court case this week that could have a big impact on our tax system. Will the government need to pay back billions of dollars in corporate tax collections? There's a case that's in front of the court that could decide just that. It looks at Congress's power to tax certain businesses. And at the heart of it is then President Trump's 2017 corporate tax cuts. The law reduced the corporate tax rate, but included a one-time tax on earnings of U.S. shareholders in certain foreign companies. The provision is expected to raise about $340 billion by 2027. Two of the people impacted, Charles and Kathleen Moore. So with help from an anti-regulatory group, they are challenging whether people can be forced to pay taxes on stakes in foreign-owned companies, even if they have not derived any income from them. In 2005, the Moores invested $40,000 in an Indian company. And although the company was profitable, they say they didn't get any dividends with the money instead being reinvested in the business. Because of that, the Moors did not pay taxes on what the U.S. government defined as income from the company from 2006 to 2017. The court will be deciding exactly what counts as income, specifically whether or not income has to be, quote, realized or received to be taxed under the 16th Amendment. Yeah, this is a rare test for the 16th Amendment, Jill. People might not remember this one. This one was ratified in 1913, and it lets Congress levy an income tax. Now, based on the case and some of the arguments we heard on Tuesday, it appears the tax is safe for now. Clarence Thomas uh, apparently telling the Moors that they fought the wrong issue here. 
Now, the Moors, the couple here, ended up paying about $15,000 in taxes on profits that they never saw. They argue this violates the 16th Amendment, which again allows Congress to levy taxes because they never received any of the profits. It's unrealized. Now, the Justice Department argues the tax is constitutional, that their reading of the 16th Amendment says that Congress is not limited to just taxing realized gains. So uh, this has made its way through the court system. It appears the tax is safe. But, of course, we won't know that till June when the major decisions come out. If, for some reason, the Supreme Court sides with the Moors, it could inject a lot of uncertainty into the tax code. Former Republican Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said that if the Moors win, it would effectively eliminate a third of our tax code, hundreds of billions of dollars, as you mentioned, that the government would have to give back. Also, it has implications for Democratic proposals to tax the rich by taxing a person's net worth rather than their income. So implications here for investors, uh, especially those who are particularly wealthy. And Jill, as always, given how complicated our tax code here is in America, always a win for accountants. I mean, they have the challenge of like figuring out the new laws, but we need it. In many countries, people don't know this. It's not this complicated. You literally get a bill from the government that says, your taxes are X amount, fill it out online. Thank you very much. As opposed to America, where it's like, Will you guess how much you have to pay in taxes? And I was like, I think I have to pay this much. You're like, wrong, go to jail. Wrong, pay a fine. That's our system here. And it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. To the economy now from Bloomberg. Signs of a slowdown. U.S. job openings pulled back in October to their lowest level since early 2021, underscoring the gradual cooling in the job market. The Fed will likely welcome this news as an indicator that the campaign against inflation is finally working, taken with a separate report Tuesday that showed easing inflation in the service sector. The data indicates that both sides of the Fed's mandate, which is employment and price stability, are moving toward their longer term estimated levels. At the peak last year, more than 4 million people were quitting their jobs every single month reflecting confidence in their ability to secure new positions, often with better pay. So that's now stabilizing the so-called quits rate. It measures voluntary job leavers as a share of total employment held for a fourth month at the lowest level since early 2021. Yeah, with less jobs available, you're less likely to quit your job because you're not sure you're going to find one. Word to the wise here. Um, Jill, one of the reasons we uh, follow this story so closely is because there's also indications the market right now is betting that after all these interest rate hikes, that the Fed will be lowering interest rates soon as inflation is stabilized, as jobs become less available, which means wage growth is going to cut down, which means there's less money in the economy, less money to spend, brings down prices, yada, yada, yada. Basically, it means interest rates will come down. The Fed says, not so fast. <laughs> we want inflation to come down to 2%. We're still in the 3% range. We'll see. But it is one of the reasons we were telling you yesterday about Bitcoin and why Bitcoin's up is people are betting that interest <laughs> rates are going to start to come down here because it's unsustainable for a lot of companies here. And by the way, for the federal government itself, uh, keep in mind, the government borrows a huge amount of money at these interest rates. So that's only making our debt situation worse. So there's a lot in the balance here. So the Fed can check mark, you know, we've avoided the recession, we think. Now the question is, when can we start lowering interest rates again? And this latest data point is another prerequisite for them to do that. I will say one of the things that goes into inflation, gas prices. When I went to go put gas in my car today, a gallon was two ninety nine, which is the lowest I have seen it in a really long time. On a related front, we should note that September was the biggest ever oil production month in American history. People don't know this, but here, 
Use this fun fact with your friends and family. The U.S. is the largest producer of natural gas and oil in the world. Number one. Like, forget Saudi Arabia. We're number one. Now, we still need to import some because we need so much of it and because you need different types of oil. But certainly, that has an impact on the gas prices. The more you know. From the Washington Post, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville announcing Tuesday that he would lift his hold on hundreds of military promotions, ending a nearly 10-month standoff over a Biden administration abortion policy. Democrats and fellow Republicans have been begging him to end this for nearly a year. Tuberville announced his decision to colleagues at a closed-door lunch, saying it has been a long fight and we fought hard. That holds, which Tuberville started in February, applied to all senior military promotions and hundreds of officers were caught up in its net. These are typically pretty straightforward promotions uh, that had been held up again for months. Tuberville faced increasing pressure from his fellow Republicans to drop the hold as officers were continuously complaining of the toll this was taking on military readiness and morale and as a war is raging in the Middle East. Yeah, his issue was a Pentagon policy that reimburses active duty members if they need to go out of state for an abortion. Now, keep in mind, in the military, you don't have control over what bases you're sent to. You might be sent as a uh, female officer to a state uh, that has abortion ban. So this was a reimbursement policy, not even paying for the abortion itself, but basically travel expenses. Um, unclear if it was ever used. Tupperville took issue with it, saying, I will allow no promotions to go forth. And this was a huge holdup for military families that need to find a house and need to plan schools for their kids and figure out their bases. And it created a domino effect as there were no promotions. So basically, he fought over this for 10 months. He held it up for 10 months. And then Jill, you say, it's been a long fight. We fought hard, he said. Guess what he got in return? <laughs> Bupkis, <laughs> no concessions. He basically just ended it and there was nothing he got in exchange besides some applause from his colleagues yesterday. And Moshe, I do want to mention that we had heard just in the Mo News community from plenty of people in the military, especially women, who said this was basically a non-issue because they couldn't even imagine a situation in which a woman in the military would feel comfortable telling her boss that she was going to be traveling out of state to get an abortion. Right. And please reimburse me for the gas. Exactly. Yeah. That they were saying this really was just for show. Right. It was the Biden administration making a point here. And so they stood their ground. So did Tuberville for 10 months, though we should note it's not completely over. He has now narrowed his hold to 10 or so uh, promotions at the highest rank. Effectively for Tuberville, it was an understanding that he had been outnumbered here. Chuck Schumer, the Democrat, had enough Republicans who were also frustrated by this. They were going to bring up a vote for a maneuver to get around this hole. So basically, this is Tuberville accepting his fate before he's embarrassed on the Senate floor. But he was getting criticism from a bunch of fellow Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, another Republican, big on veterans. And he said, you know, to Tuberville, this is doing great damage to the military here. I don't say this lightly. I've been trying to work with you for nine months. You got to end this. So uh, basically, there was an intervention here. You might remember we told you about this in the spring. We told you about this in the summer. Military families came by. This appears to be over. For the most part, a sigh of relief for military families who've been impacted by this. And so we'll see what the fate is of those 10 top officers there. But for the most part, this uh, appears to be over. From CBS News, a study conducted in Japan suggests there is more to sushi than just a healthy dose of fish and seaweed. Researchers at Tohoku University found that wasabi, the spicy green condiment traditionally dabbed on the raw fish dish, improves both short and long-term memory. 
The study's lead researcher says the results exceeded their expectations, although he did note that it was based on a limited sample of people without pre-existing health conditions. Now, the main active component of Japanese wasabi is a biochemical called 6-MSITC. It's a known antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. It's known to exist in only trace amounts elsewhere throughout the plant kingdom. The double-blind randomized study involved 72 healthy people from the ages of 60 to 80 Half of them took 100 milligrams of wasabi extract at bedtime and the rest got a placebo. After three months, the treated group registered significant boosts in two aspects of cognition, short-term memory and longer-lasting episodic memory based on standardized assessment for language skills, concentration, and ability to carry out simple tasks. So the theory here is that this ingredient, 6-MSITC in wasabi, reduces inflammation and oxidant levels in the hippocampus, that's the area of the brain responsible for memory function, and it boosts neuroplasticity. And keep in mind, the study was done between 60 to 80-year-olds here, and they want to see if it also applies to younger people as well. So wasabi here, Jill, appears to be the key to memory, at least in certain forms here. Now, the rub. Now, wasabi <laughs> is a member of the mustard family of plants. You might try it a little bit. You might be really into it. When you eat sushi, it's been famous in Japan for centuries. It's also capable of killing off foodborne pathogens like E. coli. And of course, the flavor and aroma some people enjoy it with seafood. But if you think you're eating wasabi when you eat sushi uh, in most places around the world, you are wrong. In most cases, it's an imposter. Far more common than actual wasabi, which is very difficult to find and very difficult to grow, is usually white horseradish dyed green. So when you put what you think wasabi is on your sushi, Jill, you've <laughs> actually just been eating horseradish with green dye. I don't even know how to respond to that. I've also actually heard that about ginger as well, that a lot of mm. times when you're at a sushi place, you don't get real ginger. It's some sort of replacement as well. But I was happy actually that for this study that you could just take wasabi extract at bedtime. It mm. sounds like they took some type of pill as opposed to actually having to eat wasabi. I, I cannot do it because <laughs> I, have, I have no tolerance for spicy. Yeah, and probably brushing your teeth afterwards is not great after that wasabi. But I actually want to research this further because it, as I was reading into this, you know, wasabi is difficult to cultivate. It takes two years to reach maturity, apparently. It requires a very specific temperature, shade, gravel, water conditions, sort of like, you know, as we've learned about the panda bears of China, that like there's like one day a year that they can procreate. It sounds like wasabi is like the plant equivalent of growing it that apparently it can also cost more per pound than the tuna, than even really good tuna that it sits on. So genuine wasabi, if you think you're getting genuine wasabi, it usually needs to be consumed fresh from the stem of a plant, grated tableside, like, uh, like Parmesan. So, I mean, maybe there's a way for them to cultivate it in mass form now for memory. But again, I'd caution you before jamming on the wasabi at your local sushi place, because again, that's probably horseradish. And from NPR, this week's number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 is one that you've probably heard before over and over again for decades. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. There you go, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, sung by Brenda Lee and first released 65 years ago during the Eisenhower administration has gone to number one on the singles chart for the first time ever. 
Since its debut in 1958, the classic has become a staple on holiday playlists, but there are a few specific reasons that it's been able to reach the top spot this year. So back in 2018, Billboard reconfigured its chart calculation formula, giving more weight to streams, and especially to streams made on subscription or paid tier services. So that meant that catalog recordings, whether released a year earlier or decades ago, would have more of a chance to chart alongside new material since listeners are likely to stream old favorites over and over again. That makes sense because in recent years, we've been telling you that uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas keeps hitting number one on the Billboard chart. So giving more weight in the average to streams totally makes sense. Um, so that's been a perennial a number one. Notable Jill, also premiering in 1958. My mother also uh, was born in 1958. <laughs> Debbie so Wanunu. I need to tell her, <laughs> Debbie, who listens every day, actually, she watches us on the YouTube stream. Happy birthday, mom. You share a birthday with Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Uh, <laughs> we should note, by the way, Lee who's 79 years old, has made an extra big push to help it climb its way up to the charts. She recorded the song's first official music video all these years later, Brenda Lee, for Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. It features cameo appearances by Tanya Tucker and Trisha Yearwood and has become a hit on TikTok. Uh, millions of views over there as well. All right, a nice historical note to bring us into On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1865. On this day, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which ended enslavement of black Americans, was officially ratified in the U.S. On this day in 1884, the aforementioned obelisk in America, the Washington Monument, was officially completed in D.C. The capstone was placed on top of it. At the time, it was the tallest building at the world, standing at just over 555 feet. Jill, we have an obsession with Egypt in early America, and I may have mentioned this on the pod before, but the competing design for the Lincoln Memorial was a pyramid. We almost had a situation on the National Mall with an obelisk <laughs> on one end for Washington and a pyramid for Abraham Lincoln. It definitely would have changed the feel of Washington, D.C. <laughs> It would. I'm, I'm glad they went with the, the more classical design they went with. It just it feels right. We don't know what it would have been like to have a pyramid. But listen, maybe a future president will get a pyramid on the mall. We'll see. Now to the 20th century. On this day in 1921, the Irish Free State was declared. It comprised four-fifths of Ireland. It ended a five-year Irish struggle for independence from Britain. They weren't completely free from Britain, though. They would stay part of the Commonwealth for 20 years. That would become Ireland. And of course, the rest of it that doesn't leave is Northern Ireland. And that's had its own tumultuous century. On this day in 1961, Syracuse running back Ernie Davis became the first black player to win the Heisman Trophy. That is college football's top individual award. And on this day in 1998, 25 years ago, Hugo Chavez was first elected president of Venezuela. The far-left leader led Venezuela as a dictator for 15 years, really reinforced what has become four decades of stagnancy in the Venezuelan economy, the collapse, millions of people leaving, uh, just a disaster for that country. And we end here on a more positive note. Ooh, she got me doing the dishes. Anything she wants for some kisses. On this day, 18 years ago, Jill T-Pain released his first solo album. It was the first major release with the auto-tune effect on every song. Some classics. I'm Sprung, and I'm in love with a stripper. From rocking around the Christmas tree to I am in love with a stripper. Moshe, as I always say, we've got a lot of range here on the podcast. We've got range. <laughs> we've got something for everybody. If you don't like one song, you might like the other. And in this case, you might be none of the above. And that's okay. 
All right. We want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And a reminder, the Mo News Merch Shop is open. We're doing a contest. It's a week-long Momus or Momica or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> We're giving away something free from the store every day. Make sure to check the Instagram account. Tag a few of your friends. Tell us in the comments why you love Mo News for your chance to win free Mo News merch. And if you don't want it for free, don't worry. <laughs> Just buy it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mo.news slash merch. It's totally worth it. And it supports us here at Mo News. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.